Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today for this very special in-person record here in our studio is Abigail Posner. Abigail has a great, great gig at Google in the Creative Works division. Correct. Do we call it a division, Abigail? It's team. Team, a team. Yeah. And is in the midst of a very long run at Google, which is unusual, about 11, 12 years. Um, so we got a lot of ground to cover. We're thrilled to have you and thrilled that you made the effort to be here in person. So thank you for doing that. Thank you so much. I am so excited by this conversation. All right. So yeah. there's lots of places to start with you. We have mutual friends that we've rediscovered who we will touch on. But I want to go back to your days in Boston at Harvard and uh, your course of study, social anthropology. Very unusual, unusual combination. It all makes sense as we go forward and we're going to build that Abigail Posner narrative. Yep. But let's go back to Boston and go back to Harvard and social anthropology and those decisions and what were you thinking then? Sure. Um, well, I am really lucky because I have two parents who are academics and really um, believe in just the beauty of study, right? And they're not thinking about careers when you go to school. They're just thinking about what really floats your boat. And so um, I got to Harvard. I got to college. And I didn't know what I wanted to study. Um, and I just sort of left it to chance to figure it out. And... I really loved cultural history when I was in high school, but I just failed miserably when it came to dates and wars and edicts and so forth. So I, I didn't know, you know, what is this thing about culture that I really like, but I can't study, you know, history. And then I took a course about Iran and the revolution, and I just fell in love with understanding different cultures. And then from there, I... I just dove in knee deep into social anthropology and just fell in love with the quest for the why, why people do what they do, why they eat what they eat or wear what they wear, or trade what they trade. I studied a subset called economic anthropology. That's how big and kind of comprehensive the anthropology field is at Harvard that you can have actually have subsets. So I got really excited about the interplay of culture and business. And so I knew I wanted to take that forward with me in the business world. Actually, I didn't want to be an academic. I wanted to see how I could apply my understanding of the why and human beings into other spheres. So I took that with me into the advertising space where I was a brand strategist. And there I had to understand why people buy what they buy, everything from Cheetos to insurance to, you know, healthcare. Uh, and of course, the answers to those whys were profound and game-changing. They were at the heart of our strategies for communications, for product development, for brand positioning. Um, and then even that quest for the why, I couldn't just contain it inside my career. I just wanted to you know, find ways to flesh it out in, in other spheres. And so I remember uh, a recruiter at the time said to me, you know, Abby, you're not famous. Go write a blog. I said, what am I going to write a blog about? I mean, another advertising blog, another, you know, mom using New York blog or whatever. And then I landed on something, which is I'd done a ton of work in the beauty space for clients. And I really dove into why we have the relationship with beauty that we do. And it's a very conflicted relationship, men, women, Americans versus other uh, cultures. And so that's, that became the focus of my blog which was really trying to dig into 
why we do what we do, the rituals we have around beauty. Something that is so seemingly frivolous in many people's minds is actually quite deep if you dig into it and you kind of get a sense of our values and what makes us tick. And then I ended up actually taking this quest for the why inside Google, more because uh, it was a survival skill in the sense that I got to Google, I came from advertising, I came from this creative space, and I, I joined this team where I really didn't speak the language. I didn't see, speak sales language. I didn't speak tech language. And I thought, they're going to fire me, like no question, within a month. And then I noticed something, which was there was a lot of data in, uh, at Google and beyond about en masse about what people were doing in the digital space. So how often they were on their phones or the crazy videos they were watching on YouTube or how many clicks it took to get to a sale. But nobody was investigating why. Why are we spending so much time on our phones, really? What's this all about? And why are we watching these crazy videos? Are we just stupid? You know, and I, I couldn't believe that. So I said, we have to figure out not just what people are doing, but why they're doing it. Because if we understand why, like we always did in advertising, then we could get to the how. Then we could figure out, well, how do we create content and advertising and potentially more digital experiences within these platforms? And so we launched a series of anthropology-based studies, literally hiring PhD anthropologists to go into the field, like you would, to study any culture, to understand the deeper meaning behind our relationship to phones, VR, social media, the visual web, you name it. And uh, it really became a platform for me, and it saved me in a way, um, so that I could flourish in other other uh, spheres. Okay, so there are a couple things that you said that we got to dig into a little bit deeper. Sure. Humanity is a big word with you, mm-hmm. and that's a sort of a throughput. Yeah, your entire journey to date, which you're still pretty young, so there's, there's, we're we're only probably you know way less than halfway there for you. You've also got this insatiable curiosity for the why. Yes, where does that come from? You talked about your parents as great influence in academics, but I'm going to guess that this started way before college. Yes, well. Um, and it's funny that you're you're asking me this because in a couple of days I'm speaking on a big stage about this. Um, so as the third child, the last child of three children, um, I uh, was very different than my siblings. And, and by the way, I grew up in a wonderful home with loving parents. I'm not complaining. But there was something very clear, which was that my siblings, similar to my parents who are scientists, um, are very math and science oriented. They skipped, they're wicked smart, as we say in Boston. They skipped a number of grades. They uh, were on the math team. They took the SATs for fun. You know, they, uh, you know, they trained other people on the SATs. And then there was me, and I could barely pass math. And so I realized I, at a very young age, I still have this like visual memory of this. It's kind of crazy. I remember saying to myself, well, I can't compete with them. So I'm going to have to tap other sides of myself and bring those to the fore and leverage them. Again, I didn't use those words when I was five, but I kind of was conscious of it. So like I had a good sense of EQ. I was a people person. And I had a good sense of uh, the aesthetics and all, all those 
different sides of myself that I wanted to bring to the fore. I was a good actress. And so I, I realized, okay, I'm going to lean into these sides of myself, A, because they're different than my uh, family, but also because um, they're what I love to do. And they make me happy. And I know if I dig into what I love to do, I'll just do it that much better. Fantastic. So you graduate, no grad school, right? No grad school. Same with me. Went right to work. Much I went to, to my e- parents' dismay. <laughs> right. I went to Emory. Emory was a factory for doctors and lawyers. Uh-huh. And I still remember the conversation. I was a sociolo- sociology political science double major. Oh, very cool. And and I remember sitting with my advisor, Wayne Sulfridge. I, I don't know if he's still alive. I hope he is. He was a great guy, poli-sci teacher. And he, he was sort of my advisor and said, well, what do you think you want to do? And I said, well, I guess I'll be a lawyer. And he said, well, why is that? I said, because I'm not very good in science. Mm. And he said, well, do you want to be a lawyer? And I said, not really. And in that very simple conversation in the dining hall at Emory, in about two minutes' time, I said, okay, you're going to have to get yourself a job. Did you consider grad school, or did you just know you wanted to go right to work? Well, like you, um, I figured I had to go to an obvious place, you know, career-wise. And so the folks that were recruiting on campus were bankers and um, consultants. So I decided, oh, I'll be a consultant, because what else did I know? And I failed miserably at that. Um, But I knew, even though I, I didn't love that role. I loved being in the real world. And to be an academic, particularly in a field like anthropology, it's years and years and years of going to a, to, to far off locations and, um, just killing yourself. And then you're like, well, you don't necessarily get a a job in academia after that, but that's not even the reason. The reason was I just loved being a part of the excitement of life um, I did my thesis, actually, in Shuka Carmel, which is the biggest shuk, or you know, souk if, you're, if you speak Arabic, uh, biggest open market in Tel Aviv. And I really wanted to understand how this marketplace was still bustling despite the 24-hour hyper supermarkets that were just thriving in Israel. Like, what, what's going on here? And the reason I bring that up is that there's just so much color and flavor and excitement and taste and humanity and people yelling at each other and jumping on the stalls. And it just, I realized I have to be a part of that versus being in the ivory tower. Fantastic stuff. And you get yourself to a shop. We touched on it earlier, but let's dig a little deeper. One of my favorites, and we have a lot of mutual friends there, DDB. Yep. All roads lead back to TDV, I feel like. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So um, here I was in consulting, knew that it was so not for me. And then um, I was talking to people to try to figure out where should I be? What should I do? And someone said to me, have you ever thought about advertising? Advertising? I mean, what? I had no idea what that field was. You know, I come from Boston. I come from academic circles. What did I know? So... Um, someone hooked me up with, with two, oh, and this person said, you know what, you should be a planner. I know what a planner was. And it was, this was 1996. So planning was very nascent, which was actually a beautiful gift for me. Um, so the only two places that were really digging into planning that I knew of were DDB and were GWT. And two different schools of planning as well, coming from the UK. 
And so I just knocked on the door of DDB and they knew of my anthropology background and they had just started using anthropologists themselves. And next thing I knew, again, I didn't really know what the role was exactly, but they're like, hey, you're going to go work on toilet paper. And I said, okay, sign me up. And uh, it was just a blast. I was there for 11 years, but it really was my home. Uh, and as I said, because it was nascent, it really tapped kind of an entrepreneurial side of me too, because everyone was trying to figure this thing out. So even though I was like 20 years old, I was just as much of a player as anybody else because we were all kind of figuring out what this meant uh, at DDB and beyond. And you touched on it, but planning, which one would think has been around forever, wasn't around forever Correct. and has UK roots. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah, and it comes from this place of it's not just what people are doing, but also what people are saying and what they're feeling and you know, an understanding, a deeper understanding of why people do what they do, what they aspire to, what they need, what they want. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to coming back to that. And I feel like that there, we are going in a full circle as an industry. Yeah, I, I love that we keep routing back to the why. It's, it's just a, a consistent anchor for you. Great people at that shop at Absolutely. that time. One of my favorites, we re reunited a few weeks ago at Advertising Week, was the great Keith Reinhardt. Oh, yes. And, Absolutely. Uh, still around, still totally. in great shape. Comes to Advertising Week. He's got to be 87, 88. Takes notes. Wow. Sits and takes notes. Wow. And Ken Case was there, I imagine, as well. Oh, we were there. he was. He was. And, you know, Keith, hopefully Keith will listen to this podcast because, um, yeah, he was so influential. In fact, Keith is such a great gentleman that not only was he a wonderful leader of DDB, but he also had tickets to the, to the jazz uh, at, at Lincoln Center. Yeah, he's and on their board. He's on their board. And he knew that my oldest son at a very young age, loved jazz. And so here is my son going to a Winston, Winston Marsalis or Winton Marsalis? Winton, yeah. yeah, Winton, sorry. Uh, he would know that I wouldn't. Um, you know, uh, jazz concert. Uh, and he's like two years old and uh, everyone else is about, you know, 60 and above. Uh, but that's because of Keith Reinhardt because he got us those tickets. Yeah, but very, Keith is awesome. Very special guy. And, and our friend Matt Freeman at Tribal yes, DDB. Yes, yes. Yes, I, I remember being in many a van with him going to pitch something. Yeah, Matt's uh, terrific. We're still very close. He's oh, at Bain nice. Capital now. And, you know, RGA, I think, you know, Bob Greenberg was in digital yeah. at yeah. RGA before anybody knew what digital right. was. And I'm glad he's back healthy. I saw him a few weeks ago. He looks terrific. He's had right. some, you know, some health challenges. And he's a wonderful, wonderful, brilliant guy to this very day. But Tribal DDB sort of lost in history. But they also were very early to the game, and Matt had a real vision and built a tremendous engine. I think DDB bungled it when they got rid of that whole team and just tried to sort of absorb it into yeah. DDB proper because they recognized they didn't have a digital right. offering. Right. Um, but uh, going back to a conversation we had before we got on air, sort of discounted the value of the people and the leaders. Yep. And it is all about the people. I mean, at the end of the day, what are we doing if, if not for the human beings that surround us, right? I mean, what we, what we create, what we sell, what we, you know, why we do anything we do is so that we can get closer to the human beings that are around us. Okay, so I want to make sure we spend plenty of time and dig into what you're doing at Google, but let's sort of put your tenures at DDB and then publicists together. Mm -hmm. 
you worked on some great, great brands, some great clients, some great campaigns. Yeah. You rose up the ladder in both places pretty much all the way to the top. Uh, work with some great people at Publicis too, Susan yeah. Giannino, yeah. I imagine, and many others, some wonderful people there, and a lot of the Burnett people. Yeah. Uh, Mark Tutsell on the creative side, uh-huh. I'm still very close to, great, great people. But what stands out when you reflect on that part of your career and you know, from a learnings vantage point or just, hey, that was a great, that one really worked, where you know, maybe some of the insights that had come from your team really informed and fueled success yeah. for a client or brand or campaign, and you can answer any way you like. Sure. I mean, for me, it was, it was my people, right? And that was very important to me, is being with folks who can, who understand where I come from, I understand where they come from, we build together, and the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Um, and so that was just so important. In both places, I really felt like I had my people and we could build together. I'm a builder. Um, and I always think of that, you know, barn raising image, right? And just coming together and doing this together. And so that was, it was the people that was the most important, going back to your point actually before. But, um, but also it was the, um, the value that they put towards human beings and understanding the role they play in the communications that we were developing. So everything from like, I'll never forget, you know, I always love the mind bending examples and clients. I always love the underdog client, you know, the clients that people don't want to work with, or the the categories that people think are just boring or whatever, because once you dig in and you find that insight, oh my God, it changes everything. And I'll never forget I was given an incontinence brand to work on. Okay. Like one of, you know, you're the rookie, that's what you get. And um, who wanted to work on that? Like nobody. Okay, so this was for women's light incontinence. And um, if you watched all the commercials at the time, the category itself made fun of women, made fun of the issue, and really kind of, you know, there was the blue liquid and they kind of whispered, you have this problem. And it just, the whole thing just felt really bad for everybody involved. And I said, wait, wait, wait a second. And once I started digging into the, the folks, the, the women that they were trying to appeal to, these women did not think of themselves as having a major problem. It was just part of life. They thought of them, themselves as sexy, sassy, awesome. So like, let's play that up. So instead of talking about the fact that they have a problem and they have to hide themselves and they somehow have to you know, be embarrassed, we played up the fact that these are hot, sexy women. And we fact, and in fact, instead of leveraging the codes and cues of pharma advertising, which is what this category did, you know, the, the, the saccharine snapshots of women feeling so good because they could dance in their white pants now and not be afraid of incontinence, right? Which just signals, again, you have a problem and you're old and you're one foot in the grave. Instead, we borrowed the codes and cues of fashion and beauty. And what we did was we talked about how thin this pad was, and it's designed to fit your style. So we showed a woman dancing around in sexy purple lingerie, and she still had the pad in there. No one would know. And so all of a sudden, just the flipping of the switch was just so awesome, and I'll never forget. Here was this, the, the model was this woman, probably 40, svelte, wearing her purple lingerie. And in the focus group with me, was an African-American woman, probably 65 years old, you know, a lot more uh, curvy. But she stood up after that ad was shown and she pointed to the screen and she said, yes, yes, that's me, that's me. Now, obviously the model didn't look like her, but resembled how she felt inside. And so 
If you can do that with incontinence, man, you can do that with pretty much anything. So uh, that's just one of the many great examples that have stood out to me as to when you dig into what makes people tick, you can get awesome revelations. I love that story. So Google. Google. You have 15, 16 years in the agency business. Yeah. And you uh, make a move. Yeah. Did they come after you? Did you go after them? Talk about how you got there. Sure. It was kind of double-sided. I realized that at a certain point, I love the quest for the why and applying that to different worlds. I didn't necessarily have to be in advertising, per se. Like, I wanted to apply that, that understanding of culture and humanity to other worlds. And so I made a decision at a certain point, I will not go look for another job in advertising. And it was tough because, you know, once you're in it, people know you and it's very, you know, they, they come after you. And I said, no, and I'm going to pound the pavement and I'm going to look at media companies. I'm going to look at marketing companies. I'm going to look at fashion companies. I mean, I just looked at everything. And so I, I put the word out there that I am looking to find other spaces and places where this quest for the why and this kind of bridging of these worlds could happen. And so one of my buddies who was actually at Publicis before but then left was freelancing at Google. And he said, you know, the the agency team is really growing and they want to start penetrating creative agencies and they realize that the folks who really are, you know, have the the voice inside the creative agencies are the the planners and the CDs, the creative directors. And so why not let's hire a planner to be in the in the creative agency team. And so, you know, I, I think they didn't really know what they were getting. I didn't really know what I was getting. I was the first of my kind. I, I'm, I'm wearing like, you know, leather pants and six inch French boots. And they, they, I think they thought that I was just crazy. But, um, but again, this kind of entrepreneurial um, experience or, or place that I was kind of placed into um, because there was no there was no blueprint for this role, um, allowed me to um, to really create something, and um, that was that was fun. So it was not just bringing a new sensibility to Google, but also to kind of figure out what that looks like in terms of a team, and then an additional team, and then more teams, and and then just growing that whole space. Yeah, I think that's where you have to give Google enormous credit for having the vision to bring in people with different, unusual skill sets. Absolutely. And, you know, we were talking about this uh, earlier this morning, that, you know, so much of this, of course, is engineering and technology driven, but as much, it's driven by the people. Yep. And good on them for recognizing that that skill set would be important to growing their business, and they sure were right. Yeah, and, and you know, I remember people used to say when I was first at Google, well, what's the difference between Google and the advertising world? And I'm like, oh, man, you know, how do I count the ways? But I said the biggest to me is that when I was in advertising, I would, you know, kill myself. I would shed 10 pounds of blood, sweat, and tears to try to prove a point and get an idea sold internally. I'm not even talking about with clients, internally. And then finally, when it was sold, the response is, well, we don't have any, <laughs> we don't have any money to support it. Whereas at Google... They look at me and they're like, I'm not really sure what you're talking about, but I know you're smart. Here's some money. Go, go try it. Right. 
And that kind of attitude of experimentation and risk-taking, albeit not a ton of money, not a ton of time, you know, it was going to be spent, but enough for me to just try it and see. And I think that's also been part of their big success is creating that entrepreneurial culture within Google, but literally building in, and you'll know more of this yeah. than I will, but yeah. don't they sort of build in time for you to do well, there, there used to be that are a, important to you that yeah. may or may not be business centric. There was a twenty percent um, uh, kind of opportunity, meaning that everyone could take twenty percent of their time and apply it to something else, assuming that eventually it could then converge. Um, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily as you know rampant as it used to be, but in how we are are um, evaluated, you know, our performance is based not just on what we've done, but how we've done it. And, and whether we've created a, a new pathways and opened up new doors and saw new opportunities. So we're definitely rewarded for um, a entrepreneurial mindset. And even when we failed, there's, there's reward for that. So, yeah, I really think that um, had the culture, again, it's all about the people. Like, it's, are these my peeps? And that culture of just like, here, go for it. And if and and if you fail, it's okay. Just don't fail miserably. But you know, go and try it. And so, like all of that humanizing digital work that I did, all that anthropology work, that was a total like mind bend for people. They just couldn't get their head around it. And yet, it was so different. And it really opened doors for me, for Google, um, to have a different type of voice to the marketplace. And fuel growth along the way. And fuel growth. Exactly. Exactly. And so when I started building the strategy team, the creative strategy team, um, we didn't have anything like that before. And so it was all rooted in, all right, how do we leverage the insights from the anthropology work that we've done and also from the data that we're seeing so that we have a human story that comes out of this, not just a data point or claim. Fantastic. So Let's talk about growth. I want to talk about growth of the company. I want to talk about your growth. Go back to the beginning of the company you joined. Where was the office when you joined? It was uh, Meatpacking. Meatpacking. Okay. Yeah. And so in that building that used to be Deutsch's building, the same one? Uh, yeah. Okay. I was in Chelsea and, Market. And now an enormous real estate profile yes. in New York. Yes. They, did that place by City Winery, that pier, is that open yet? Or yeah. Not yet? Yes, it is. It's beautiful. Yeah, I've heard, I, I, I remember when it was under construction. I love City Winery. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I thought that was a great choice to, to expand there. But just talk about the growth of the company overall. Same, different, you yeah. know, the growth over, over a decade for Google globally, but uh, I guess I'm focused here on our hometown of New York. Right. Enormous. I find it really exciting. Now, you know, you could argue... Once you get bigger, you get more anonymous, right? And in, the, in this theme that we're, we've created on this podcast, you'd think, okay, well, isn't that almost dehumanizing? And I don't think so. I actually really thrive when there's, again, back to the shook, I really thrive when there's all different types of people that I can engage with. And so with that growth, didn't just come more people, but came more and different and diverse people. And that's super exciting. Because then you start converging brains and minds and mindsets, and you get totally new ideas as a, re as a result. And that's really the heart of creativity, right? It's like it's this combining of unlike notions and concepts and, and um, stimuli. And so um, I find it super exciting. I'm actually really loving. I'm now in Soho. Our building is now in Soho. 
I'm loving that. So again, a new world that I can venture into every single day and um, and just feel New York in a different way. I mean, that's why I love New York, right? So many different people, anything goes, everybody has something to contribute. The ecosystem is just, you know, so awesome. So, um, you know, does it mean that there may be more bureaucracy? You know, some people say that. I, I don't really mind that. And maybe also I'm a different point in my career at Google than I was when I was a little, you know, IC individual contributor. Um, but in the end, I find it just, I find it wonderful that we can be as expansive as we are. Great, great answer, Abigail. So let's talk about Creative Works and yeah. what that's become, the group that you lead. Um, Peel a couple layers off the onion for us on what Creative Works is, what it does, and give us, if we were looking at your whiteboard right now and your yeah. plans for 23, 24, 25, what would be one or two of the things that would be big right. priorities for Creative Works? Well, Creative Works, um, we're all about helping our clients create the most effective ads and content for YouTube, meaning advertising and branded content that is meaningful that is effective, that really both touches people and leads to success for our clients. Um, and what's great is that more and more our clients and our company and the industry is recognizing that creativity is the last edge that we have now to be successful. You know, so much of media is getting automated and it's creativity that's going to give us and give our clients kind of that as I said, that special that special edge. So uh, we're really excited about continuing to help our clients see the opportunities to make their work that much better. And so our team is comprised of creative effectiveness leads, people who really help optimize the ads based off of the, the data um, that we see. We have creative directors, we have creative strategists, we have branded content folks, we have production folks, we have business partners, we have a whole slew of, of really talented folks, many of whom come from the creative agency space to, to really help take that work and make it that much more meaningful. So I'm excited because I feel like not only do we have the services and offerings to help our clients really, and they can see it overnight if they apply the, the, the learnings that we have, they can see how much more effective their work is. Um, but also that there is a, a an, an really kind of an open mind now, much more so than ever, around the importance of creativity and the importance of creative. And I don't just mean the importance of creative as a, as a f product, like advertising, but I mean the importance of being creative and celebrating creativity. And so, um, you know, one of the things that we did as a global team is during COVID, we started seeing that in a way, COVID had inspired a lot of change. And I've, I don't mean to sound flip, right, in that, Obviously, COVID was a horrible experience for so many people. I, I live in Manhattan right next to a hospital, so I saw that firsthand. But it also showed that everybody could be creative because everybody overnight had to come up with new ideas and new solutions. So what's happening now is that there is this, this sense of creativity, sense of experimentation. And so as a full team, we decided to dig into that and try to understand what is the future of creativity really? And how can we and our clients and the ecosystem, the advertising ecosystem really dig into these new ways of being creative. So, um, 
you know, we, and we called it the Open Creative Project, actually. We created a conversation and some research, and we're continuing that conversation um, to really get folks to talk about the importance of creativity. What does creativity really mean? How can everybody be creative from the finance folks to the, to the people who sell? Like, what is creativity really? So between our clients understanding the importance of creativity on our platforms all the way to kind of the whole world really opening up to the importance of being creative, I feel like we have a really interesting future ahead of us. Fantastic stuff. So let's go back to that anchor of the why. Yeah. And that socio- sociological? Anthropological. So- socio-anthropological. Yeah. It's a tongue twister. That sort of throughput for you. Talk about how that continues to inform what you're doing at Creative Works, and how it helped you as a leader navigate during a period of time. As you said, I think you're absolutely right. It's not flip at all. There was a lot of creativity that flourished yeah. during COVID. But you're also leading a big organization. Talk about how your own grounding helped you lead and help continue to inform yeah. you know, what Creative Works was and is doing. Right. Well, because in my eyes, creativity is all about touching people. It's about connecting with people. It's about understanding what's relevant. And I don't mean necessarily relevant the way we've been saying it in the media space, like at the right time, at the right moment. I mean, like, it really affects me and touches me. So they say, I know that you know that I know that you get me, right? And so because creativity is anchored in that connection, the why and my, and my love for understanding people is is always going to be, you know, part of the part of the um, process, and will and I think it's going to flourish even that much more because we have the tools to actually dig into that sense of nuance even more, and because we have the ability, thanks to so many of the other activities being automated, we can now really go back and dig into the why. That's why I mean when I said I think we're coming full circle to really understand human beings again to be at the core. Of creativity, so that's so. You know, to me, when I talk about creative works and I think about our future state, we're going to continue to be harnessing what is has has always been so true of the creative process, which is it's understanding the why. Um, and then to go back to your other question, you had asked about like, well, you know, how has my kind of anthropology background affected my work and and my growth as a leader and and so forth? I mean, in two ways. I mean, one. I was able to survive, as I said, because I harnessed this anthropology side of myself um, and found a connection point to uh, my world at Google from the get-go. But, um, you know, after all, as leaders, it's all about galvanizing our teams. It's all about making them feel like you can create something amazing today and tomorrow into the future. And if you don't understand what makes them tick, and if you don't understand their why, then you can't galvanize them. You can't get them excited. You can't get them stimulated and wanting to do that much more. You know, there's a lot of conversation. Look, I'm being asked, I'm a public speaker. I'm being asked to do a number of speeches over the course of the next few weeks, really, about innovation and creativity. But a big ask is like, how do I get my teams engaged again? How do I get my teams galvanized again? And so much of that is really understanding what drives them and what makes them tick and what excites them 
And I actually think the creative process is very exciting and very galvanizing. Um, so, you know, the, the anthropology and the desire for understanding the why has been so integral to every step of my life. You know, again, whether it's, you know, the advertising work I've done, whether it's, you know, creating the teams I have at Google and whether and, and galvanizing the teams um, and also just being different. I think yeah. that's actually helped me, even though I felt like an outsider. And it's funny, I've been at Google almost 11 years and I felt a bit like an outsider because I am different and I come from a different world. It's also been helpful and given me a different perspective. If we're doing this again in a year, what do you think we're talking about that we're not touching on today at CreativeWorks? Well, I think more and more clients will have been leaning in to the creative power of their of of the advertising space, um, particularly of the, the YouTube platform, which has just so many different aspects to it that um, enable, uh, it, it's a creative canvas that there's just so many elements to it that enable creativity. Um, so they'll be leaning into the platform more, they'll be leaning into the value of creativity in their own work, but also, also that creativity will be something that everybody wants to harness both inside Google and in the world at large. And I don't just mean the creative uh, advertising aspect of it. I mean the love and uh, appreciation for the creative process on all that that co goes with it. You know, the, the experimentation, the openness, the expansive thinking, the ability to connect unlike worlds, that all of that gets becomes part and parcel of um, how how people, our clients, and our colleagues want to work. You mentioned public speaking, and I know you're represented by what I think is the best in the business, the yep. Harry Walker Agency. Yep. Um, talk about that evolution. That's a little different also. Yeah, it is. Um, well, uh, I'm a ham. Uh, give me a microphone and I'm happy, and a camera. But... Uh, you know, it's a, I'll tell you the story of how I actually got involved. And, you know, this is another mantra of mine is just say yes. Meaning if you're asked to speak on a panel or, you know, or you're asked to, you know, do something that is a little bit out of your comfort zone, just say yes, because you never know who you're going to meet. And so I was on a panel and I was kind of like begrudgingly on this panel, but, you know, I had fun. I can, you know, I do good panel. And, um, this woman was in the audience and she was doing social media for Harry Walker. And uh, she said, have you ever thought about being a public speaker? And I thought, I have no idea that that's a job. I had no idea that that actually exists. And so um, it was really just almost miraculous because I had a few videos, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a book. I mean, most of these folks, if you look at their roster, are like, you know, presidents of countries and sure. have written books and here's, here am I, like, who am I? whatever. And uh, we just had a connection. And I had a few videos that I could show, you know, poorly lit videos of me talking. And uh, they said, look, we want you in. We want you. So they, they, they knew something they had. And it is, I mean, Don Walker is brilliant. He just knows talent. And uh, he brought me in like without necessarily anything to say in particular. Um, and I had to go think of what I was going to say. But luckily, he believed in me. And uh, here I am years later and still loving, loving to be able to connect with people. 
I love that. And the other, I think I saw you use the word side hustles. Yes. That you have decoded and some of the other stuff. Yeah. You still do. That's all still going. Yeah, it is. So now I, I transferred that into uh, Human Code, which is a podcast, and it's um, much more sophisticated than what I was doing when I was doing my my video series is that at Jeff? home. Did I see Jeff involved? Yeah, with that? Jeff was involved I love in that. Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's an expert at that. Yeah. And I have a few other folks who I've got some producers involved. I mean, it's, so it's a little bit more. Uh, more sophisticated again you know not uh we don't necessarily have a studio like you do but um but that's super fun and i mean look i love being able to listen to stories and i i just get to speak to so many interesting people everybody has a story it's just so cool and if everyone could hear each other's stories imagine how much more connected we would be absolutely well i think that's a great way to wrap but thanks abigail this was a pleasure we loved having you on the show thank you so much